0: All right. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to Bible Quest, the Tuesday edition. Uh, so today, I guess I can get us started on what we're going to be discussing. Uh, recently, I was in a conversation with some people, uh, and we were reading in some of the Psalms, and we read a Psalm in particular. It was Psalm one forty nine. Um, I can just read the the section um, that's in that Psalm. It's a pretty short Psalm, anyway. Um, near the end of the Book of Psalms. I'll just read the whole thing. Uh, it says, Praise the Lord, sing to the Lord a new song, his praise in the assembly of the godly. Let Israel be glad in his maker. Let the children of Zion rejoice in their king. Let them praise his name with dancing, make melody to him with the tambourine and the lyre. For the Lord takes pleasure in His people, and He adorns them the humble with salvation. Let the godly exult in glory, let them sing for joy on their beds. Let the high praises of God be in their throats, the two-edged swords in their hands, to execute vengeance on the nations and punishments on the people, to bring their kings with chains and the nobles with fetters of iron, to execute on them judgment written. This is honor for His godly ones. Praise the Lord. Um, so that's psalm starts off. Praise the Lord. He's great. He's made his people glad. Uh, we can sing songs to him, praise him. And it ends with God allowing his people to execute vengeance, destruction, putting people in, in chains, uh, executing judgment, those types, that type of language. <laughs> and after we read the psalm, one of the people in the discussion said, I don't like that. Um, And I think that's something that probably most of us can relate to when we read things like executing vengeance and judgment and and crushing people and, and binding people and all those types of things that the Bible discusses various times. It can make us uncomfortable and especially uncomfortable thinking about that that is something the Bible describes God doing to people, that that's one of the ways that God has revealed himself to us. And so that's what we're going to talk about this afternoon, just discussing an accurate picture of God, how the Bible shows who God is, and, and how we can deal with that, and kind of discussing maybe some different questions that come up along the way. Um, but before we get into the specific discussions, I want to, I think we should talk about why that's important, why we need to to discuss that. So, Justin, you mentioned First Corinthians chapter 2. Do you want to kind of start there and, and get us going? Yeah, uh, I mean,
1: the ob- objection, I guess you could call an objection, that this friend of yours had in, in reading that passage. Um, when someone says, I don't like that about the Bible, you might initially cringe. Um, but I've been reminded from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, uh, Paul writes, Who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. And I just—I actually, this may sound strange, um, but I actually find it a little reassuring when I'm reading the Bible and I find something that I don't like, um, because it—it it reminds me that I'm dealing with a real person here. You know, sometimes there are things that my wife says that I don't like. Um, she's not me. <laughs> uh, she's a, a different person. She has her own ideas, and I don't know what she thinks or what she wants, what she likes until she speaks. And if I want a real relationship with a real person, then it means having to deal with what they think. So when I'm reading the Bible, I want it to say things that are different than what I think. Otherwise, all I'm doing is I'm creating a God in my own image. I'm taking the things that I like, I'm taking the things that resonate with me, and I'm sort of getting to pick and choose buffet style my own religion. that's self-worship, however you paint that. Uh, what we really want is for God to speak to us and for us to learn to to accept Him for who He is, to approve of Him, to realize that my idea of right and wrong is, has become askew, and I need to kind of realign, recalibrate my thinking to His righteous presence. Scott.
2: Yeah, and we'll be getting more and more into some specifics uh, and, and understanding why. Yeah. There's things that we're not comfortable with, we don't like, Uh, but the fact is, and, and we'll be discussing some specifics about that, about the justice of God and punishment, but on a larger scale, I just wanted to mention Bible history is kind of the record of us not liking what God said in the garden. God said, do not eat of this tree, and after being tempted, Eve decided she didn't like that. And, you know, God tells Israel, don't be like the nation's about. They didn't like that. You know, don't marry all these strange women. Solomon decided he didn't like that. This goes on and on and on and on and on. And we're like the prodigal son who wants all the blessings and none of the rules and restrictions and responsibilities. And that's, that's not how it works.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, should, um, it should come for us that there are some godly people, some um, people who had a solid relationship with God in the Bible, who struggled with some of the things that God said he was going to do, or some of the things that God did. Um, Moses sometimes, you know, tried to stand between God and what he wanted to do, and, and God relented and altered his course. Uh, David, when God strikes Uzzah dead, says that David was angry because of it. But then he worked through it and came to a better understanding of who this God is. Abraham, when God tells Abraham in Genesis 18, I'm going to go and deal with Sodom and Gomorrah, Abraham says, shouldn't the, the righteous judge of all the earth do what is just? And he doesn't understand justice from God's point of view, but he's got this idea of what's right. And he says, God, this doesn't seem right. Could you help me understand this? And he begins this conversation. So I guess what I want to reassure any listeners today is that if you're in that place where you're reading the Bible and you think, I don't know if I like this or not. You're in a good spot. <laughs> it means you're interacting with a real God who's different than you. Uh, and, and that's good <laughs> because we want him to be different than us. Uh, he's holy. And we're we're trying to learn more about this holy God so we can serve him. So that, that's, mm-hmm. I think, maybe a good starting place.
0: Yeah. Yeah. and And if, like what you said, we don't do that, Really, what we're doing is what the Bible calls idolatry. Uh, we're creating our own God, our own version of God. Um, and so, one of the reactions, at least immediately after uh, that, that person said, I don't like that, reading that section in Psalm 149, um, someone almost immediately said, Well, that's okay. You don't have to worry about that because that's not how it is now. That's not what God is like now. That's not what God's people are like now. That's not what Jesus does. Jesus changed all of that stuff. We don't have to worry about um, that. God, God's different. And that's one of the common views that people will have. Uh, and I want to just kind of quickly address that see what you guys have to say about that. Well, what would you say about the idea that the God in the Old Testament is different than the God of the New Testament? Like like somehow in the period in between the Testaments, God like converted to Christianity and now he's loving and kind and gentle and he wasn't before, but, but now he is. Well, what do you say to that? <laughs> You need to read your Bible. <laughs> That's what I'd say to that.
2: Some Test- of the things... Go ahead. No, go ahead, Scott. In the Old Testament, God is more merciful than I would ever be numerous times. I would have never been so merciful to David after Uriah, Uriah and Bathsheba incident. Um, and in the New Testament... He's also more punitive sometimes than I would have been if, if God had asked us, okay, here's Amnius and Spira. they disciples. They're believers in Jesus. They, they sold this field. They gave most of it. They kept some for themselves and were dishonest about it. What do you think we should do? And I, that's maybe have a talk with them, you know, Peter, take them aside, you know, and, uh, God, this isn't, I'm going to kill him on the spot. I'm going to kill him. And then she's going to find out a widow that she's a widow when she hears these words, the men that buried your husband are going to bury you. That wouldn't have been my idea, but that's God in the New Testament.
0: Yeah, I think often, often in discussions about God and kind of his character comparing Old Testament to New Testament, it's really emphasized the punitive stories in the Old Testament, and leave out all of the mercy, and then really emphasize the merciful stories, but leave out all of the, the, the judgment stories. Um, but they're, they're found in both. And so just one example that really stands out to me, and I think this is really curious, in Jonah chapter 4, um, Jonah has spent the book running away from what God told him to do, and then he finally goes in Jonah chapter 3 and does what the Lord tells him to do, preaching to a sinful nation, a sinful city. And uh, do you guys remember the reason why Jonah didn't want to go do what God wanted him to do? It wasn't because he was angry with the people of Nineveh or, uh, you know, afraid that they might, you know, hurt him or or anything like that. He says in Jonah chapter four and verse two, oh, Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country, that this is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster, and then he asked for God to kill him, because Jonah is a terrible person, um, but he says, I, I didn't want to go, because I knew that you're kind and merciful, that's in the Old Testament, that's, that's the Old Testament God, and he relented from the disaster he, he promised, and there are other stories of God relenting, you know, we mentioned David uh, with Bathsheba, and, and, and others, where God would have had every right to bring about disaster, but he chose not to because of his mercy and kindness. So, mm-hmm. go Justin. Yeah,
1: so this, this Old Testament idea, this idea that you know, we read these things in the Old Testament, but it's okay, because God is not that way anymore. Think about that for a second. If God weren't consistent, if God weren't that way anymore, that poses more problems than it provides solutions. You know, now we've got a God who changes. And so now he's loving okay but what if one day he decides he doesn't want to be that way anymore so so that that kind of comfort actually creates a, a sense of insecurity that maybe we're not prepared to deal with so better than that is a god who is consistent and some of the the kind of beloved new testament ideals that that we come to love even people outside Christianity think that good christian morals are a good idea things like Love your neighbor, that's a good idea. Even love your enemies, a little extreme, but those are actually Old Testament principles. You find in Leviticus 19, Exodus 23 verses four through five says, if you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey going astray, you shall bring it back to him. So, so Jesus is pulling from Old Testament teachings because he knows that the love that we we need to practice, the love that is uh, inherent in the character of, of God the Father, it's it's there in those Old Testament principles. Dan?
3: And and the, the continuity through the whole Bible and the answer you need to read your whole Bible, I mean, that's honestly the answer to every question. Uh, um, uh, it's also the root answer to every question, because we can't expect, I can't expect to read the whole Bible every time I have a question. I, I don't have that amount of time, and I've been reading a lot, and there's still things that I'm not quite understanding, but that's really a big part of it. Uh, we need to know um, if we a, a diamond is cut and has lots of different facets on it. And we can sit back and we can look at all the glittering and uh, appreciate its worth and appreciate what it is. But when we get down and look closely and look at every single facet the, the, uh, in the diamond, we're going to know more about that uh, that diamond. Uh, the more we know every story, the more, every interaction God has, the better picture we're going to have of who God is. And Uh, some people say it's a different God now or it's a different system now or everything's different now. I think one of the reasons that people fall into that is um, it's been the same God the whole time Um, and in every instance God doesn't change but people change when they meet God. We are always the ones that change when we meet God and uh, one of the major differences that we can start picking up on because it seems like when you read the, the Old Testament, it sounds different, and you read through the New Testament, it sounds different. There's some ideas that carry through, but there's also uh, there's a sense where things feel different sometimes. A lot of people must notice that because a lot of people see that. I've even heard somebody say that God grew up by the time he got to the New Testament, that he matured, his mm. ideas wow. matured. The reality is, Paul uses this illustration in talking to the churches in Galatia when he says that the old law was our tutor, the old law, those old stories, all of those things were written for our benefit to bring us up and to get us to grow up. I don't think God did any changing in growing up in all those times, but if we see a a growth or um, a bit of a change, there's a lot of swords in the Old Testament, and there are far fewer swords in the New Testament when you start counting them all up. A lot of that change is because of the instruction given over different times to different peoples, and how we now have the benefit of learning through all of those times. Uh, The teacher's been the same, and the students have grown up as time has gone on, and that might be a way of looking at uh, why does it feel different when I read one.
0: part of the bible from
3: another part of the bible
0: yeah and then also just really straightforward um the bible says directly that god does not change (laughs) um a number of times it says i am the lord i do not change and in the new testament hebrews chapter 13 in in verse 8 it says jesus christ is the same yesterday today and forever um, and throughout the prophets and different times, God's speaking with His people. I am the same. Uh, James chapter one says there is no uh, no variation or shadow due to change in the Father who is above. And and a number of times the Bible itself will say that. Getting back to our original point, God has revealed who He is, and He said, "I don't change. This is this is how I am." Um, so, is there anything else you guys want to say about
1: about that? Well, you, you've mentioned it already a little bit, but. Um, I don't know if it was you or if it was Scott, but some of the the saltier, saltier, more fiery um, Old Testament curses, um, call them imprecations, these prayers of cursings, they find themselves cropping up in the New Testament too. You you mentioned Ananias and Sapphira. Um, God's acting directly there, but then you also find people like Paul who are calling on God to do those sorts of things. Uh, One of the most uh, obvious ones is Galatians 1 where he, he says if anyone brings a different message different gospel than this let him be accursed uh, he's, he's calling on God to punish um, and then in acts 13 uh, there's the occasion where he he curses bar Jesus uh, and has him blinded uh, for standing in the way of someone else hearing the gospel so you, you see a a New Testament principle still carrying over this idea from the old testament so the things that we find beautiful about christianity are found in the old testament things that we find difficult in the old testament are also in the new testament so it just further emphasizes your point there jonathan that god doesn't Mm -hmm. change
0: so thinking about all of that um that's great so god is the same old testament new testament it's all the same well those passages are still there (laughs) those stories are still there for us to read and talk about, and be uncomfortable with, and, uh, you know, God's people crying out for his, his justice, are they just immature in their thinking, or, or should we rise above that in Christianity, how do we deal with those things, how should we think about those things, and I think Justin, you, you had um, some slides, maybe, um, that you could go through, kind of talking about, you know, that, that imprecatory language of calling a curse on someone, is that appropriate, how do we, how do we deal with that?
1: Yeah, I could I could share something here. Let me just share um, one slide here that may be helpful, um, and it, it's this idea um, when we're reading these imprecatory, especially the Psalms, uh, but you'll find it in other places too. Um, in Numbers, for example, whenever the Ark of the Covenant, you know, would, would start, you know, the, the priest would carry that off. Uh, Moses would call out this uh, prayer of blessing and prayer of cursing. Um, but it was always about God's glory. It wasn't really just about the people. Uh, God's name and His glory are the primary concern in these psalms. Even in Psalm 149, you mentioned, you know, the concern was for God's people, His name, uh, the place where He calls His name to dwell. That—that's the concern. Um, hardly will you ever see anyone who's saying, you know, give me justice because. Um, I just don't like these people. You know, they're bad neighbors. They're kind of annoying. And so you know, you're crying out curses on them. It's really concerned concern for God's justice. Um, and again, curses are never declared as self-enacted vengeance. When Paul uh, prays or, or cries out this curse on Bar Jesus in Acts 13, he doesn't then go and like poke his eyes out. <laughs> um, God, mm-hmm. God is the one who does it. So it's never, it's never something that I take upon myself. Part of the the freedom in these curses and these things that we see in the Psalms especially is that it, it puts my confidence where it should be, not in my power to defend myself, but my confidence is in the God who, who actually does a much better job at bringing justice than I ever would. I, I go too far or I don't go far enough. And, and God is much better at bringing true justice. Um, some are actually just—it's it, a mercy for those who are hurting. One of the one of the ones that I think is helpful in seeing this is look at Psalm three, I believe it is. Yeah, Psalm three, verse seven. Uh, David here is talking about his son Absalom. You can imagine the challenge that he has because the enemy who is going against God and against David and against really all God's people is his own son uh, Absalom. So his prayer is a little reserved, but still striking. Psalm 3, verse 7, arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. And so, you know, what, what, is, a, what is a bear going to do if it doesn't have any teeth? Like, you know, gum you to death, I guess. Um, and so, so the idea is here are these wicked people and they're doing great harm. Uh, take away their power to hurt people. And I don't know about you guys, but when, and I'll try to be as apolitical as possible, um, but when there are certain world leaders here in recent history attacking other nations to harm them and um, just doing evil, evil things, part of my prayer was take away their power to do harm. Um I might go a little further than that, but that's that's part of the hope is you're hoping that innocent people won't be hurt. Mm-hmm. Also remembering that God doesn't take any pleasure <clears throat> in the death of the wicked. Um, anybody remember where that are there other Bible passages that kind of link up with that idea?
2: Ezekiel 18. Mm-hmm. And
3: even 2 Peter 3, I
1: would think. Yeah, mm-hmm. he, he wants all to reach repentance. So part of the plan here is that even as the, the curses are coming on the wicked, we see justice being done, vengeance being taken. Um, there are wicked people being destroyed. What does that do for other wicked people? You know, it, it, it may uh, encourage them to repentance. Uh, what does it do for righteous people? You know, It turns out hell's a good thing. Um, some of the the wicked things that, that I might be tempted to do, I am discouraged by doing by seeing God's righteous wrath. Mm-hmm. Um, the Ananias and Sapphira story scares me away from hypocrisy. Uh, it scares me away from self-service. And so seeing that kind of judgment, it is for my good. Uh, and then all of us here are dads, but don't you sometimes want your children to be just a little, you know, not afraid of us, but you know, afraid of doing wrong, right? You, you want them to be uh, careful to do right. You also want them to learn to love and to trust that you're gonna do good for them. That, that's part of the song, So that's all there. Um, Implications exercise righteous indignation, they're redemptive. We've kind of talked about that a little bit already. Uh, God's judgment is hope for the righteous. Every time you see the wicked being punished, there are righteous people who are being saved. You know, when God brings the 10 plagues on Egypt, he's gotta do that to get Israel out. Uh, and so to get, you know, God's people saved in Revelation, you know, uh, Babylon the great, the, the prostitute, the city, she is a bloody city and God brings judgment on her. Do you remember what all the righteous people are doing?
0: They're rejoicing. Yeah. Yeah. Praising God.
1: Uh, yeah. Which we think, well, that's crazy. Um, but you just read all the wicked things that she's doing. And so knowing that we serve a God who is going to bring judgment actually should give us a lot of hope. Um, if, if you were a little kid on the playground, and there's a bully over there beating you up, and you look over and you see your dad watching the whole thing and doing nothing. I don't know. Like, is is that a good dad? Wouldn't we want him to arise and come to our rescue uh, and to take that kid out? You know, I mean, not, you know, not totally destroy him or anything, but like at least remove him from our presence, right? Um, he's going to have to deal with that kid. Um, in order to, to save the righteous. Uh, and then finally, this one I think is one of the interesting things. Uh, the principle is found in the Proverbs, but it's repeated by Paul in Romans um, Romans 12, verse 19. He says, beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. If you didn't believe in a God who, um, who punished evil, then how would, how would you deal with evil? Mm -hmm. i mean somebody's got to deal with evil what this does then if i know that god's going to punish evil then it frees me up just by saying god you know who needs punishing here you know how to deal with the wicked Um, please break their teeth Uh, please keep them from hurting people uh, if they won't repent, if they won't turn to you, please destroy them so that others will see and they will repent, and they will turn to you, lest they be destroyed as well, um, and in the meantime, while I'm trusting God to do that, I am freed from the burden of having to do that myself, because I can't, and I just get to love them, my job is to love, my job is to do them kindness, and to do them good, to bless and not curse, uh, and trust that God's gonna take care of all of that. I think those, those seven principles here are really helpful. Um, they, they've helped me a lot in reading through the imprecations, and they've they've helped me in my prayer, taking my prayers a little bit further than they normally would have. The Psalms should shape our attitude toward God and, and praying is not just about asking God the things that we want. It's really about coming to God to ask him to do the things that he wants. And that, that's a much better way to pray. So these inspired prayers, become instructive
0: I don't know Jonathan you had a thought yeah and one of the things I was thinking of maybe another reason why we have trouble Mm -hmm. with that kind of language and God doing those types of things and breaking the teeth of the wicked or or enacting his vengeance like in Psalm or in in Romans 12 is because I think we kind of understand and know that's wrong for us to do it would be wrong Mm -hmm. for me to take vengeance into my own hands it would be wrong for me to, you know, go out and, and uh, you know, repay the evildoer for everything that they've done. Uh, you know, if, if I, uh, if one of you all did something uh, to, uh, to, you know, someone in my family that, that was deserving of death, and if I went and got you and me and some of my friends took you into a room and we, we had a trial for you and determined that you were guilty and we executed you, that would not be justice, that would be murder <laughs> if I did that. It's wrong for me to do that. But if the same situation happened and the police came and arrested you, took you to court, tried you before the judge, and the judge found you guilty and sentenced you to death, that's not murder. That's judgment. That's because the judge did that and has the authority to do that. And so, while it would be wrong for us to do those things that we're uncomfortable with reading, God is the judge. He he has the authority to do those things. It's his duty um, and part of part of his character. So, um, thinking that God is us maybe is a little bit of the the problem that we have. that Well, I can't do that. Why can God? Well, it's because he is judge. (laughs) He has the authority to.
3: I think one aspect that makes, in particular, these psalms um, confusing or hard for us, I mean, in in all the psalms, not just in the the imprecatory psalms, is we're living in a very different culture. We're used to poems actually rhyming. We're we're used to them feeling and, and acting in a different way. Uh, And so there's there's that that is always going to get in the way. And then another aspect is that uh, we live in a pretty safe, secure uh, society with lots of money and lots of justice for all the times that we complain about how bad uh, the different branches of our government behave uh, for all of our uh, complaints that. Uh, I don't like the political party that has power right now, or uh, I don't like these present laws uh, for for many Americans, and I would say probably for most Americans and walking around the United States. They know that if somebody does something bad to them, that they will probably get represented well um, that the bad guys will be um, chased after and found out, and that they can get justice. Uh, and we, If if I can put myself into the shoes of somebody, here I am, a white guy, um, living comfortably and feeling safe, but there's minorities, there's gender issues, there's different all sorts of different ways that things can get stacked up, and you can find yourself in a position of, now it feels like I have enemies. And a lot of people might not think they have enemies. They might have a neighbor who mows their lawn the wrong way and blows their leaves into their yard. But that's not an enemy. That's, uh, that's living a pretty easy life if that's, if that's the worst enemy that you have. And when these Psalms were written, so many of these really feel like somebody was writing about a genuine enemy, a real problem. Psalm 3 was about a life or death situation, not just for David, but for David's household, his family, and for the nation. Uh, there was a lot of terror that was going on uh, behind that Psalm. And maybe living a life that's pretty easy um, makes it harder for us to envision these things. But there are times, and there are times in this world, and there are times in our country and different peoples who are going to suffer. And if you find yourself into real problems with real enemies, God has given you words that will not go too far. You can read his word you can read a psalm that David wrote about David's enemy, and you can say, God, uh, for right right or wrong, this is how I feel. These are the words that I'm going to say, and try to put it in God's hands rather than take the judgment on yourself. And God's given you words you can use. Um, I don't think we should go around looking for people to yell at with psalms and, and, and these scary lines, but we can, we can go to God with this sort of uh, uh, safety. Of, of he's written complicated words for us to repeat.
0: And I think one of the things you said is really important, uh, understanding that there are wicked people in the world that just want to hurt people. Mm-hmm. Um, you may not know any of them personally, but there are evil things that happen in the world. And uh, I don't want those to keep happening. I don't want them to happen to me. I don't want them to happen to my family. I don't want them to happen to the innocent people that they've happened to already. Um, and, but God is the one that takes care of those things.
1: What, what are the thought with that? Um, some of these Psalms, you know, I don't want us to think that they're allegorical only, um, I think David's really praying, or some of these psalms are really praying, we're really praying that God would, would act and would hunt down and shoot his fiery arrows into the wicked. Um, but at the same time, there is a kind of emotional expression here. And uh, I think that's, it's okay for us to appreciate the fact that God can take that. Have you ever been really, really upset uh and expressed yourself in some hyperbolic you know I, I wish I could die kind of thing not like Jonah really asking if God would kill him but like just I, I wish I could really get that guy or you know whatever where you're expressing emotion and we don't really mean it um we see that some I think in in some of the Psalms or even in Job you know Job says some things that I, I think he would probably wish he could walk back a little bit and, and the point that we should get here, I think, is that God's the kind of God who can take that kind of emotional language. I'm not saying that we should do all of our venting to God, but sometimes we talk that way to our friends when we should be praying to our God. Instead of talking about our bad situations and complaining to our friends, we really should be talking to a God. And by the time, by the time I'm done with prayers like that, um, it's hard to go to your knees to God who's a righteous God and ask that God punish wickedness, and then feel comfortable, because then you start thinking about the times that you've done what's wrong, and Amen. the times that you deserve judgment. And these kinds of prayers demand a holy lifestyle. Uh, and I'm not saying that I'm there, I'm trying, um, but, but you, you, we wanna be positioned spiritually. We can pray these kinds of prayers, and also appreciate that God is a God who can take it, who can understand our heart's cry, who doesn't get wrapped up in the emotional venting uh, and, and just understands our heart. He hears us for what we really are. He, he can take our uh, emotional expression, if you will. I, th- I think that comforts me a lot.
0: Yeah. Um, Scott, you said you had some, uh, some charts to show. You wanna walk through? Yeah, I'll,
2: I'll share those. And I'll just mention too, in a world where there's not justice, and punishment for injustice and the threat and warning of that, you're going to have more and more and more and more injustice. Um, and that's that's the nature of things. Um, so I want to share this here here at the end. Um, so God's justice and God's grace. Um, in God's justice, there's punishment for sin. In grace, there's redemption at sin. Which of those do we like better? the redemption yeah everybody loves that and that's why more people are interested in Jesus as a savior than they are in Jesus as a lord but the bible says that God is not only merciful and gracious but he will by no means clear the guilty and here's the good news of the gospel but why is it good news because there's bad news the wrath of God is against all ungodliness it's because of the bad news of our trouble for our sin, that we need the good news. So Romans, and that's how Romans begins, and Romans ends with saying, note the kindness and the severity of God. So what's your perception on the mercy of God and the wrath of God? As seen in scripture, does God show mercy slightly, moderately, or intensely? Intensely. As seen in scripture, does God punish slightly, moderately, or intensely?
3: Intensely again.
2: Yeah. So if somebody's view is, oh, God is very merciful, sometimes I'll ask, you know, a group of people, is it, is God more merciful or more, you know, and, and just kind of have them put it on a spectrum. And a lot of people think God's very merciful and slightly punitive. If that's your view, Nadab Nabahi. All mm-hmm. chapter nine is about, they did what God said. They did what God said. They did what God said. Mm-hmm. Then they don't do what God said. And it's Moses's nephews. Mm-hmm. And they're consumed with fire. Uh, Uzzah, uh, Ananias, and Sapphira. So is God just slightly punitive? Mm-hmm. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. If your view of God is, oh, wow. I hadn't thought about that. Wow, God is so punitive. He's hardly merciful at all. David being forgiven of that. And who writes so many books of the New Testament? Paul. Paul. Yeah, after what he did. Yeah. Tremendous mercy, tremendous mercy. And you know, the uh, Jeffrey Dahmer has been in the news lately because there's a film about him. Um, not everybody knows this, but Jeffrey Dahmer asked to be baptized for the remission of his sins. Uh, mm-hmm. shortly before he was killed in prison and the first time that you hear that it puts our human side reaction to the idea that Jeffrey Dahmer could be seen in eternal life
3: well I don't like to hear that yeah that it doesn't deserve to be there
2: my fleshly side is not comfortable with that at all because he not that's I mean let's have some mercy but you know let's have some limits on this
3: Mm
2: -hmm, mm -hmm. um so if you're like me your fleshly instinct might be comfortable with both less punishment and less mercy from god so if you guys are like me and just not listening to god but just how we would do it uh is everybody okay with hitler going to hell (laughs) Uh, yeah i don't have a problem with that Mm -hmm. everybody okay with Job going to heaven Yeah. I don't deserve it, but I I kind of feel Job, you had a pretty rough. Let let Job have that. Mm. But I would have picked in between kind of a spectrum, you know, where, you know, so Hitler's going to have it terrible. Somebody else, they're not going to have it as good as Job. You know, I'd, I'd have a sliding scale if God had asked me. Guess what? God didn't ask me. Yeah. Matthew 25 separates them like sheep and goats. Where do the sheep go? Eternal to life. Rest, yeah. Where the goats go? Clear fire. And here's where we see the justice and mercy meet.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: God is so just. Look what he put his son through to pay for our sins.
1: Yeah.
2: God is so merciful. He gave his only begotten son, and Jesus willingly did that. And just think of Isaiah 53 and then Romans 3. So note then the kindness and the severity of God. May we be humbled and grateful for God's mercy and be motivated by it to serve. I appeal to you, therefore, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed
1: yeah
0: Yeah. so um, i mean some of those concepts are still hard to uh Mm -hmm. to think about to process you might encounter some passages uh, or some stories or some psalms or whatever that are just uncomfortable they're really hard um some of the comfort that can come when reading those passages is in knowing who God is and, and why he is those ways, understanding his justice and his mercy. Um, Scott, you were going to say something else.
2: And knowing that he knows people better than we do.
0: Yeah. Mm
2: -hmm. So, you know, there, there's Judas and there's Peter. Um, You know, the Judas, this isn't the first time. It's not like Judas has been a model disciple. We know earlier, he was a thief. He'd been stealing all along. Um, We don't know the whole story about Ananias and Sapphira uh, or other things. God knows the whole story. He knows who the hypocrites are. He knows what the motivations are. Uh, He knows the, the type of person that would be penitent and sorry and want to do better and he knows the type of person that's insincere and ends up better serving as an example of what not to be.
1: Mm -hmm. I I I would hope it would be um, like like I said, some of these passages are still concerning, they're still difficult. Um, I I hope that I never come across a passage like that and just go, well, yeah, that's Let's give it to him, God, and then go my way thinking that I'm all right. Uh, It's kind of, you know, Luke 18 with the publican and the tax collector is, I'm better than him, at least I'm not those people that God sends judgment on, crank up the fires of the furnace of hell, God. Um, They they should make me uncomfortable. They they should uh, bring me to a point of humility, not by lessening God's wrath on injustice and wickedness, but by strengthening my convictions that I I don't want to do the things that ignite his wrath in the first place. And again, it reminds me that I'm dealing with a real God who's who's a a real person, if I can use the word person, who's different than me, who has his own ideas. And I'm not just making a God in my own likeness. It would be scary to me if I read the Bible and everything just sounded peachy. Um, I'd, I'd be ignoring stuff. I'd be blind to the truth of the Bible. Uh, we come to this and we need to see areas where we need to adjust, things that we need to change. And so, you know, if these psalms or passages cause us discomfort, good. Uh, It means we've got some work to do and and we see where that
0: work needs to be done. Uh, Anything else you guys want to say before we wrap up? All right, good. Well, thank you guys for your discussion in that. Thank you to our audience for tuning in uh, to our program today. If you have any questions about what we discussed today, anything else that you'd like us to discuss further, maybe some specific passages or specific questions that you'd like us to address, uh, you can submit that to us at BibleQuest.tv, and we'll be happy to talk about that in some of the future broadcasts that we have. Uh, But that's all that we have for this week, and so we'll plan on seeing everyone next week, Lord willing.